Late night boys. Late night boys. Late night boys. We're talking about a deer with a beard made out of human hands. Late night boys. Midnight movie review, guys. It's not midnight where you are, but surely midnight for us. Well, it's eleven eighteen p.m., so it's, it's not... midnight for us. Okay? <laughs> it's midnight. <laughs> they don't know what time it is here, but it's midnight here. Well, it's it's your boys, the pod folks. I'm Matisse Van Rossum. I'm joined by uh, the other two, Ben Sheets hey. and Eugene Lundeen. Hey, what's up, everybody? How are you doing? Hopefully you all have missed us. We have put out episodes regularly, but we haven't done this in a while. It's a bit of Gotta a reunion for us. I'm back in the country. We're back on our bullshit. Yeah. Back, <laughs> back on that same old bullshit that you know and love and that we hate ourselves for. <laughs> yes, as Matisse mentioned, he was on vacation, and then Ben decided to, out of the blue, abandon me and go back home for a week. So, And then I came home and Ben was gone, and then I, it was just Eugene. <laughs> yeah, so we were like, stuck oh, with fuck. each other. <laughs> Free food is very alluring. Oh, that's what can I say? <laughs> as you might have guessed. Now the boys are back in town, and we're bringing you a late night snack night mini review of the new Netflix film The Ritual, directed by David Bruckner, based on the best-selling novel by Adam Neville. Yeah, I, I guess we're just gonna is jump right in. Is the book called The Ritual? Too? It is called okay. The Ritual. Yes, <laughs> I uh, I just read the book in preparation for this review because that's the kind of bullshit that I'm on. Apparently, right? I guess Matisse is just our uh, our book guy. He's the one who can always give us. It's the, not uh, even intentional. I just needed something to read on the plane, and I knew we were gonna be talking about this, so I bought it. You gonna at- read the the insidi- insidious novelization <laughs> next? Oh yeah, ba- the the classic insidious series by uh, Salman Rushdie. I just, I just want you to stop rubbing it in so much. You talk about reading books like it's not a job or it's not hard or like you know how to read well. It's like oh look at this guy hey, he knows hey, how to read hey, words. Hey, I never said I could read well. Why do you think I watch movies? I don't know how to read good. I see the pictures, and that's enough for me. When the captions are on, oh boy, that's that's a job and a half. I, the movie just reading zooms by. Reading is for fucking nerds. I, foreign films, I just, I'm reading a book at that point. It's too much trouble. Yeah, so thank, who wants to read subtitles? Yeah, so thank God, even though this movie does not take place in an English-speaking country, all these guys are good old... British people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chaps. Yeah. They're, they're the chaps, you yeah, know. Yeah, the, the chaps, the boys. Not Americans, but hey, we, the lads. we get along now, yeah. <laughs> this movie is about uh, four good old lads taking a, a vacation hiking in the uh, mountains of Sweden to uh to pay homage to their their dead friend who yes. had mentioned wanting to take this trip their and, fifth lad uh, who their uh, fifth lad and they take a shortcut through the woods and end up getting lost and uh are being hunted by something uh a la Blair Witch. Yes. Well, yeah, I've heard the Blair Witch reference getting tossed around and yeah, there is that it's about a group of people 
lost in the forest and there's there's something uh, spooky going on supernatural you could even say it's I, I mean of course it's it's not a found footage film if any of you guys have thank God <laughs> if you guys know Netflix I'm sure you have seen the trailer because it is also a Netflix original I tried to go into this with the lowest possible expectations because I mean movies almost never stand up to the book they're based off of. Also, this one was getting some pretty mixed reviews. I've heard lots of praise, but also lots of people saying that it's trash. I think it's goodish. Well, with that Blair Witch comparison, I think it is, is very Blair Witchy. One of the is is one of the issues. What what is this movie doing that we haven't really seen in horror movies before? Doesn't it's not a lot. I mean, it's not feel, the it's yeah. not the most original premise, but. It at least tries to tread some somewhat new ground, at least with its setting and its themes of, like, uh, pagan, uh, like, Old Norse mythology, stuff like that. That's not something that you see a whole lot. And, I mean, that's definitely true to the spirit of the book, at least. I will at least go ahead and give it props for trying to capture the spirit of the book. I would say in the first, like, half of the movie... You get a really solid bit of atmosphere and, yeah. like, pretty good. You know, you don't know if it's, like, a person hunting them or something else. They keep it There's a lot open. of restraint. Yeah. They keep most of the of that kind of stuff to the sound design, which I think is pretty good. You hear a lot, but you don't see a lot. And 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 the like you said, the, the atmosphere is, is pretty solid, too, with this sort of, like, uh, claustrophobic cloying like forest that just never ends you know and all every way you look it looks exactly the same and that's something that the book did really well is that it really captures the the feeling of being hunted and being totally inescapably lost that's one thing that the book does the best is the atmosphere it's one of the creepiest books i've read in a really long time because uh adam neville is just fantastic at building up that really oppressive hopelessness that i think the movie gets towards at points but maybe not as much as i was hoping for I would say the first two-thirds do a really good job of building up this tension in the air. Even before all of the supernatural stuff happens, we have a lot of... Uh, Just pour myself a little drinky. Oh. <laughs> a little drinky here, you know. Late, There's late a night. lot of... Um, yeah, hold on, I'll just let you finish. Yeah. No, 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 you can keep talking. I'm, <laughs> I'm listening. That there's already a lot of uh, instability within the friend group themselves because our main character, Luke. Luke. What's his name? The the four characters are Luke, the protagonist, and then Hutch, Phil, and Dom. I wouldn't have remembered any of them. I only know that because they're named the same thing in the book. That's the only reason I know this. And Luke is uh, guilt-ridden because their friend who died tragically... Just six months before they went on this hike, died in a holdup in a liquor store where Luke could have acted. He could have done something to try and save his friend, but he tensed up. He was scared and uh, he stayed hidden and let his friend get his brain smashed in. So he's and this is something that he that the other the other three don't know. 
because they were waiting outside the liquor store. They they don't realize that Luke could have done something about it. So it's a very internalized private guilt that he's racked with. And even though they all would rather have gone somewhere else on vacation, they choose to do this hiking trail in Sweden because that's what their dead friend had suggested that they do. The whole liquor store thing was kind of a weird subplot, in my opinion. I agree. The, the way they, they handled it, especially... Because in the in the book, and I'm gonna try to not do this too much. It, it's inevitable, <laughs> yeah, come on. but I'm gonna it try does, not do it too much. Book doesn't count over here. But in in the book, there is no fifth friend. There is no liquor store. The tension between the characters comes from that they only see each other once a year because they're old college friends. And Luke is the only one who is unsuccessful. He's the only one who's still kind of just bumming around, living paycheck to paycheck, working in a record store. And all of his friends have wives and kids and successful jobs. So they don't really respect him because he never got his life together. And he doesn't respect them because they resent him. So that's where that tension comes from, which, of course, spills over once, you know, they're lost in the woods and creepy shit is happening and they can't get out. Of course, their personal tensions rise yeah. to the surface, well, having, which you get a little bit in this one. Having yeah, but- that whole subplot, you know, it it's like, OK, so maybe a thematic undertone of this is, you know, maybe he'll learn to intervene and stop his friends from dying. And then all and of then his friends throughout just the movie, die. Yeah. He just watches as all of his friends die one by one. Which maybe is a thematic thing that he just can't get past that. And then by the time he finally decides to stand up and do something, there's nobody to save but himself. Yeah. Well, I I get the reason why they made that change. Uh, just hearing what the tension was in the book, they wanted to try and make something a little uh, little darker. That it's this this guilt over a death feeling responsible for something like that rather than just like being spiteful over your friend's wealth i feel like that would have uh, yeah that would have been a harder thing to try and translate but again well even i feel like that's a that's a crazy thing to just like put on a person like they, they show it's just a, a couple of tweakers basically that that kill his friend they beat him with a pipe yeah, like well, because he he refuses to he to give them his wedding ring. He's given right. them his wallet and his watch, but he won't give them his wedding ring. So they beat him to death with pipes. I, I feel like, sure, of course, there's the guilt. He didn't do anything, and he should have at least tried to save him. But also, he probably would have just ended up getting getting his ass. Beat I mean, to realistically, death as well. yes, right. I understand the guilt, especially the, that's the kind of thing in hindsight when you watch your friend die and you, you feel like you could have done something even if maybe you couldn't have really. I think where this movie suffers is that whoever wrote it, uh, I, I think it was the director, David Bruckner, I might be wrong. I get I get the feeling that he's a fan of the book and wanted to try to capture the spirit of that, but it's hard to do that in an hour and a half long film. I think this would have really benefited from being like a three to four part mini series where they could have really explored some of the stuff in the book better. And that would have been cool because some of the most interesting parts of the film, a lot of moments of just unease, especially when... Uh, the strange stuff starts to occur to them. They shack up in a cabin in the middle of the forest where they're hiking through. And that night, they all have nightmares. We only see the nightmare of Luke. But after that, everyone else 
in the house in the cabin is also freaking out. And I, I dig that that you get that realization. It's not just one person going crazy. You're not going to find out that he's just the only one going nutso at the end, but showing very clearly whatever it is is affecting every single person and in right. a different way. Which uh, and they I thought was very cool. Immediately brush that off. They they immediately brush off all their crazy. Well, except for except for one of them, because uh, they when they're exploring this old uh, run down house in the middle of the forest in the attic, they find this uh, like shrine, this weird like someone's Etsy studio straw. Yeah, <laughs> this big straw idol with like antlers, and it's obviously a shrine to something. And then when they've all woken up from their nightmares in the morning, they find. Uh, Phil, I think, is the one naked and kneeling in front of the altar uh, in like a trance state. And at that point, they all want to brush it off, except for Phil. He's the only one who's like, hey, I want to talk about this. And they're all like, no, fuck off. We're not (laughs) going to talk about this. What I what I think it does really well is uh sort of capture the their sort of like fraying wits as they struggle to find their way out of this forest and it's like okay we'll be out today and then night falls and then nothing and like okay we'll be out tomorrow and then night falls and they're still trapped and it's like there's this really nice deterioration of sort of their their wits and trying to hold it all together that I think is actually quite uh quite effective. It's just one of the characters, uh, Dom was his name. Yeah, the one who twisted his knee. Right, yeah, he, he he's the reason they go through the forest, because he twists his knee, and that's supposed to be a shortcut, uh, so that he doesn't have to be walking so much. He's the one who goes crazy first, I'd say. I mean, outside of it, he's the one who starts freaking out the most. He's, he seems to be the nervous one, and he sort of turns into that, like... Uh, sort of like Bill Paxton in Aliens, like the one who's just, who can't Game stop. Over, yeah, man. exactly, right. Just won't stop constantly, like, freaking out and just not, well, freaking out and also denying that anything weird is happening, which is just, I always find a little frustrating with characters. It's like, just, come on, just, like, snap out of it. Just, like, get along with everything else. I get you don't want to believe that there's this crazy other force, but there's, there's, a lot of really weird stuff that happens and again it happens to everybody it feels uh like he's just really forcing this uh, obliviousness and maybe that was that that, that could have been part well, of his character yeah too. i think i think it is because he's really projecting his blame onto luke like we're we're here because of you you know like we would right, rather which- we would rather have gone to fucking amsterdam or ibiza or something you know but we're here because of you he's a little more out of shape than the rest of them are and he fucks up his knee so you know he's really in like in the worst straits and having the the hardest time holding it together but he is he is definitely like the asshole of the group so he because he he says at one point he's like you you came out of that liquor store and there wasn't one drop of blood on you so indicating that like luke didn't do anything Right. Didn't well, they they even though they never talk about it, they do kind of blame him yeah. for their for their buddies, which death. I dig too. Because even though Dom is the only one who's overt about it, you can sense that even like the one um uh, like the one who's the the only friend who's like actually really nice to him, Hutch. Yeah, Hutch. You can even tell 
Like, uh, in some of the things he says, even when he's like, I don't care what everyone else says, like, I don't think it was your fault. Like, he, but there's, he feels, there's that, there's that little bit of doubt. Exactly. He feels yeah. like, I do, I do appreciate that these characters are somewhat complex as compared to a lot of characters that you get in horror movies like this, where they're all just kind of archetypes, you know, and they're really just fodder to be killed off. I like it when filmmakers will take the time to develop their characters a little bit. Right. It's and a- that's a, that's another parallel that I see between the Blair Witch Project, you know, where you're lost in the woods and deteriorating psyche over time. But like all of these feel like relatively real people. I would say Phil has the least development out of all of them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would still have liked to see some more character development. Sure, they could have gone farther with they're, it. Definitely. They're a little forgettable at times. Well, I mean, it's it's really primarily from Luke's perspective. So he gets the most uh, the most development. I did think it was kind of weird that because uh, they continue to have nightmares throughout a lot of this and he keeps going back to the liquor store, which I get. But they keep like blending the liquor store into the forest. So yeah, it'll be like too many times. Right, they the did first it. time it was kind of cool. I dug it. But yeah, like with the fir- it... the first time where he like wakes up and walks out of the house into the liquor store, but the the floor is still all dirt and sticks and stuff. I'm like, okay. Yeah, and then they do it like three more right, it's times. Like the last time they do it, it's just like it's just like fluorescent not even, lights and, hanging in the woods. He's so not even asleep. He's just <laughs> running from the monster. That's you true. Know? Yeah, he isn't even asleep at that point. It's just the the monster messing with him. Which uh, one thing. Too. I don't know how sold I really was on the monster. Like I, I mean, like I, I accept it for what it is, but it's it's in uh, shadows. It's behind trees for most of the time. They, but do, they do. They do show good, you the uh, the creature like at the end. You, they you do a, a good, good job of it. holding off on that for a while, which I, I felt worked better because I I wasn't so hot on the creature when. It, when it like came out, yeah, we'll 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 get to that. We shouldn't jump into that quite yet, but I I'm definitely on board with you. We should talk a little bit more about the build up before it gets to the climax. I think I mean, a lot of that stuff is really good. Like the first day when they're walking through the woods, and they come across the elk that's been like hung up high in a tree oh, and yeah, just disemboweled and right. uh yeah like a predator fashion just uh but like but like what would what would put it up in the tree like that like right. that's their thing like what what did this what hangs uh a kill so high up in the tree right and that it uh, it was still dripping blood so they knew it was fresh i actually thought that that moment was uh, a rather effective jump scare which is something that i don't say very often just because they don't telegraph it so much they're just kind of like walking through the woods and then all of a sudden like boom there's this thing hanging up in the tree and they just cut to it real quick and it it takes you by surprise and i think it's rather effective and then they sort of linger on that rather than something just like jumping out ah scare you you know like yeah it's, well- uh this, I, I'm thinking on it now, uh, the movie didn't really have too many jump scares within it. And no, I, no, 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 no. I resort to that. Right, I, I uh, put that towards the, the film's credit. There was, there was an effort to try and make it scary without resorting to just uh, 
making a loud noise or throwing something in front of the camera. So Yeah, and a lot of the time that they're being hunted through the woods, you really only hear the creature's noises, and that sound design stuff is all pretty good. It doesn't go too far out there, except for a couple of times where it's well, like, it's like, is the this first a sound time... that they pulled from another horror movie? You it's know? like the first time... Uh, he hears it in the rain as they're going in the cabin. Luke turns around and uh, first it kind of sounds like a dog, but then the second sound comes and it's like this really odd, like high pitched, like whoop, <laughs> and it just that that it felt uh, it was going a bit over the top, like immediately with all of the the sounds. Like I I, I like the you know the more subtle like branches breaking, like. Something moving closer, yeah, yeah, but yeah. All that it's like, oh, immediately. I mean, that's got to be like a, a creature, something. So right. Well, they that is something they let you on. They let you know pretty quick that it's uh, that it's a monster movie. You right. know that 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 it's, uh, that it's a creature of some sort that's hunting them. And then one night when they're camping, Luke wakes up from a nightmare. And here's one of the other guys screaming and he comes out and uh, Hutch has been taken and they hear his uh, death scream in the woods. And that was a that really was a scream. Like, yeah, that was that was some good sound design, too. Like, it, it sounds like he was being murdered horribly. Right, like, yeah, I, like torn apart. I, I, I believed it very much. And so. then the next day they find him hung from a tree disemboweled in the same fashion. And they're seeing all also throughout the forest, all of these, uh, like old Nordic runes carved onto the trees and stuff, especially around the house. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which a lot I, of spooky symbols. I thought was a, a, a nice touch, but they, they didn't overdo it. You know, it's once again, to make the, the obvious Blair Witch comparisons, I sort of equate that to when they, uh, in the Blair Witch find all of the little, uh, stick men hung yeah, yeah. from the trees i i yeah. got that vibe pretty hard they they did it subtly enough that it still worked for me without overdoing it yeah it was really effective i think this movie works best when it's being super subtle yeah i think one of my favorite atmospheric tense parts of the movie is when they find like that buried tent oh yeah and oh find yeah, their yeah wallet yeah. um uh the wallet of a woman who apparently went missing in like the 80s yeah they find her credit they find a credit card in the wallet that expired in the 80s I, so when did credit cards start i mean that's this sorry this is an offside I think credit cards I have even... been around since like the 70s okay yeah. huh. that was really great uh i agree because it's a great way of setting up that wherever they are there's a very good chance that uh i mean whether this creature gets them or not they just end up getting lost I would say, and once again, not trying to be this guy, but get the, a load of this guy over get here. A load he's, of about this guy. he's about to do I'm it. About to do it. Talk I think, about how words are cool and shit. <laughs> words are cool, man. <laughs> I think the. I think where this movie really starts to lose me is in the third act when it yeah. diverts hardest from the book. Yeah. Up well, until that point, it stays pretty true. It captures the spirit well to a diminished degree. It doesn't do the horror intention quite as well. But then at a certain point, it really goes goes off script, so to speak. And yeah. that's when it, it starts not working for me. You should explain the ending to the book because I think that 
is a super interesting ending. So, t- for context, at a certain point while uh, Dom and Luke, the last two alive, are running, they stumble upon this l- tiny little... I hesitate to even call it a village because it's like four or five houses and they get captured by these like pagan peasants, I guess, the Scandinavian equivalent of like hillbillies. And so then they're they're being offered up as a sacrifice to this creature that these people consider a god. But in the book, which I think is really cool, about halfway through, Luke gets kidnapped by... A black metal band who is on the run from the police after killing a bunch of people in Norway and Sweden. And they've come out to this place to uh, sacrifice people to this old pagan god only because they think it's really metal. They're just teenagers and they want to be Vikings and they want to rebel. Just like good old fashioned like Norwegian black metal bullshit that is so interesting. And so that's where the book goes, and they just don't do any of that in the movie. And I think that's a time thing. Like, if they had done it as a miniseries, they could have translated that much better. I also think that's a way more original idea than yeah, just being captured by, thing. by like, backwoods, like, cultists, you know? Just these punk teenager black metal kids who want to sacrifice people to an ancient god because it's fucking metal as hell. I think that's a, a way, way, way cooler idea. It does sound cool. I think the problem just comes from people may have found it comedic if they had tried to go that way. Unless That's, that's another way, thing. Right, if, they would have had to try and set it up properly in like the first act show the black metal band committing these crimes so that well they, they that i mean but they don't do any of that in the book you know just halfway through he reaches the point of exhaustion and he basically just gives up and he's but gonna die a, out here in the woods and then just he sort of like a up. filmmaking progression thing if that had been how act two ended he gets kidnapped by this black metal band i feel like it would have been because uh, what what does happen, him getting captured by that village is already so jarring for it then to just be some metal band trying to be hard and edgy would have just, um, I, I think, come off comical for a lot of people. I think it would better with a better director. It's, it's the kind of thing where if you take too much time to overanalyze the scenario, then it starts being kind of comedic because it is a, a really different thing like oh this scary Blair Witch style horror and then it devolves into like a Lords of Chaos kind of right. thing well people would have been asking so many questions like what were what was this black metal band doing on the hiking trail I can I can understand sort of why things. they why they weren't gonna go into that in in the movie I admit they it don't, does sound cool it does sound it, it, well I like I said it's the kind of thing where if you think too much about it it seems kind of silly but if you just go with it and you accept it then it it actually works really, really well. But like in the book, that happens like right about halfway through. And they don't get kidnapped in the movie until like the last 
30 minutes, I guess, you know, like a pretty good chunk of the way in. And so at that point, if they had tried to introduce the black metal band and characterize them, I think it would have just been rushed and sloppy. Uh, yeah. So no, I see, I see why they, that's why I see why they simplified it. I see why they simplified it. It's really where all of the subtleness and tone that had been set by everything before just being lost in the woods, this creature following you that you don't know anything about is just sort of all pulled away because we learn basically everything about this creature, just what what exactly is going to be going down. It just felt uh, felt like it lost something for yeah. me in those moments. Well, I mean, it's supposed to be uh, an old Norse god or something, and these people make sacrifices to it so it grants them immortality or, or some such. Right, I think yeah. that's it, and it chooses its followers, I guess, by uh, Luke, during his first nightmare, he gets these, like, five holes in his chest, and everyone in the village also has those five holes. Yeah, that was something that was never, I think... F- explained well enough for me is something why from the beginning the the creature like just singled out luke as a as a potential follower and not just as prey well this one woman who inexplicably speaks english yes right pretty pretty well too uh, because you know there's sort of the idea that maybe all of these followers are just also hikers who got lost in the in the forest or something. It's not the impression that I get. Yeah. Like it's they live in these really old, like Norse style long houses. They're dressed in rags. Like I get the feeling that they're, they they're, talk about like people being selected and stuff. Yeah, so I have but to assume I, that it's not all just like I get the feel I mean maybe that's because true. the the creature can also only like dwell within the forest itself. I know it's flimsy. It's like, it's never an impression that I got while watching it, I more saw it as like these are just this is like a a small something that's been here for generations. A society that's been sort of forgotten and left behind by the rest of the world because of its extreme isolation and that they've just been out here worshiping this uh this demigod all of these years. Right. All yeah, maybe generations. I'm, I'm reading it wrong, but uh, yeah, there is a woman there that does speak English, and she mentions that like his pain is great because he has all that guilt and grief, but he sort of sidetracks that. Like He's just like, I'm not going to be a part of all this, but we yeah, don't really no. get a chance to figure out why he was chosen because of that. Yeah, so. exactly, and maybe it would have been more interesting if he had tried to at least feign interest at first and you know maybe tried to <laughs> right but he just become a fuck. part of this cult or whatever in order to find a way to escape but instead he just breaks out of his bonds and sets the house on fire and oh, yes. uh and then the the creature comes for him and i i guess at this point we can talk about the creature yeah um it's a it it's a big old deer monster with human arms on its chin. Yeah. As, like, tusks. It, yeah, like right, yeah, like arms and hands, tusks. and then, like, the, these little eyes down on its chin. Like, I'll give them props because I've never fucking seen anything like that before. I'll give them props for originality, but I don't know how effective it was. You know what it kind of reminded me of? Uh... Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> with Krang in the inside <laughs> just the whole time. 
I was just half expecting. Oh my god! Some sort of Krang Brainiac thing <laughs> popping out. I can kind of see that. Oh my god! It was it was weird because like in the book, <laughs> in the book, you never get the greatest impression of the monster, but basically, it's a it's a large like bipedal goat monster with with hands i don't know it's weird well when they find the 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 shrine in the attic of the house in the book it's not just like this weird straw thing with antlers like it is in the movie it's like a taxidermied goat with like human hands sewn onto its forelegs that's like sitting in like this cradle filled with straw and there's like bones all over the place and it's really like gave me like real culty like satanic vibes and shit and that's kind of the vibe I get throughout the rest of it and they just sort of took it in a weird different direction in the movie I wouldn't say it doesn't work but it also I don't think it works fully for me. Right. I think I, I just remembered what this reminded me of, my feelings about the monster. It reminded me of, and this is going to sound weird, but when we see Krampus for the first time in Krampus, I just feel that same sort of like, oh, that's what the creature looks like. I just feel really underwhelmed yeah. by well, it. Well, I feel like the reveal hurt it a lot as well. They first have this dude's wife come yes, out. Yeah. yeah, he has like a vision and, yeah, of Dom. Is, Dom uh, is he's the, being um, put to sacrifice uh, for the creature, right? And we hear it coming closer, and then his wife does pop up. And uh, and she, like, comes up and, like, puts her hands on his face, and then it does, like, a smash cut, and it's the creature's chin hands yeah. holding, its, holding his face. I thought that was a bit jarring, too. Yeah. And, I, it, like, it looks like, like eyes in a... In, like, a hood. Well, like, almost like, like a little um, hole in a tree or something, like, where a squirrel would... It looks would, like uh, Craig is nuts. hiding inside. Yeah, yeah you right, see like these that. eyes peeking out of a dark hole, and it has hands on either side, like a, but then it like goes up into, like, this big... Yeah, like a Jawa <laughs> at, at the bottom of, like, this enormous deer or, or like, elk skull on, like, a big four-legged... Right, and my like my the. It's the, very hard to describe. Look it up if you want. I don't know how else to describe it. It's bizarre. I like I said, I'll give them props for originality. Right, because I was imagining more of like a like a giant um shit. What are they called? Yeah, Mister Tumnus from Lion Witch and Wardrobe. Like oh, a, like a, a satyr yeah, or like a fawn. Right, yeah, 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 just like a giant fawn or something. That's, of course, not the human top, but that, well, that like, that's the... basically what it is in the book. Oh yeah, that's basically what it is. It's like a big fawn. Well, not with like a human top, but a big goat that has hands that can I walk on its like a, on its back legs. Mountain. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like very, very kind of like pagan. Satanic, you know, like goat monster, you know, and that's that's what it is in the book, and that's and it works really well. And then they just really took it in a totally different direction here. It's it, it's just weird seeing a deer walking around with little little human arms yeah, on his chin, just like picking picking people up with its chin. Uh, that's a a. a a weird kind of image, unintentionally funny. Right. Yeah. Well, the other thing and, that gets unintentionally funny is <laughs> yes. the the like second story shrine. Oh yes, they because, have in the village. Yeah, Luke um, is uh, he's hearing weird noises coming from the floor above where he's being held captive, and when he 
uh, finally breaks himself free. He uh, sneaks upstairs, c- trying to evade the the people in the village. At first, it looks like a room full of uh, a bunch of mummified corpses, but then it just ends up turning into like the the haunted mansion. <laughs> like, yeah, they all start Disney. moving, yeah. and, and that that's a very funny moment because he has a torch, and one of them starts moving, and he doesn't even react. He just, <laughs> just it just sets it, just it on just them. straight, yeah. slowly. just totally straight faced sets it on fire, and it's it's making like really raspy noises, and he just sort of turns over. He's like, yeah, shut up. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, he doesn't react to it at all. It's just like totally straight faced, like it's moving. And he just like sticks his torch in its face and sets it on fire. I I, I was digging when he walked in that room because it's like I I assumed that these creatures are gonna come alive or something at some point. But it was it was I was digging it that the just the the tension of him slowly moving into the room and I thought the designs of yeah the set the design that shit's great. Yeah. But it is like once those mouths and you see him like start to breathe, you're like okay they're very puppety. Yeah, well, yeah, right, that's the thing. I, I respect that they tried to do practical effects with it, but. The Frank Oz kind of Muppety yeah. feel all, of it uh, just rejects, made it feel funny. The rejects I, I will, of the tales of the crypt creature. I will <laughs> say, I like like you mentioned, the I have respect for the practical effects because even in the close-ups of the monster, when it's like the lower half of its head with the hands and stuff, that's obvious practical effects. That's not CG. Like the whole monster's body is CG, but you can respect that they at least tried to do some stuff oh, yeah. practical. Definitely. Um, and yeah, the the thing in the with the with the corpses and stuff you know that's another thing where they're like oh yeah it's in the book we should do that but then they don't spend enough time with it and it it almost it almost that it almost comes across as like an afterthought right like the creature's putting them in the trees but it's never fully explained why he puts them in the trees well that's that's like a norse mythology thing with oh, uh with odin uh and this is just geeky shit that i know but it's Later. like uh in norse mythology odin to gain more wisdom or something uh sacrificed himself by hanging himself in a tree and like on his own spear Okay. And he stayed up there for like nine days or something, and then he's like reincarnated, much like Jesus, and then comes back wiser and more powerful. So I think that's the 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 reason the creature hangs people in the trees is supposed to be like a like a Norse thing. Okay. All right. Um, I certainly didn't get it while watching the movie. The the only thing is, is like once Luke escapes and he's being chased through the woods by the creature, like I never really feel like there's much stakes. It doesn't it doesn't feel like he's in much danger because at one point it catches him and and he falls onto the ground in a position as if he's worshiping it. And then when he tries to get up, it just keeps, like, shoving his head back into the ground. Uh, yeah, it's really at that point when, I mean, the whole village stuff, they're explaining the beast. But this, it felt so confusing. I didn't know what to feel. No, it doesn't like, feel like it's trying to kill him. It feels like it's trying to make him worship it. But then he just, like hits it in the face with an axe and distracts it for long enough to run past the tree line and then he's just safe. And then the movie ends. Yeah, yeah that's another thing. Yeah, it just ends with him walking away from there. I don't... Once, once he's escaped from the house, 
I never really feel like he's any in any danger. Even though he's being chased by a monster, I never feel like I I'm worried about him dying or anything. You know, it like the monster doesn't do anything at that point. That's the biggest thing. It the could monster, very easily kill him. The monster it, totally falls flat. It does. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't oh, yeah. do anything. It's like they're trying to rely solely on the shock value of like what is this really strange, bizarre monster, but then the monster doesn't do anything. Yeah, well, and I feel like the big part of why it's scary in the beginning is because so much of it is unknown. Yeah. And it stays mysterious. But once they show it, he just shoots it and hits it with an axe. Yeah, that's a thing, too. Like, he shoots at it. Yeah, which... it's like he's, he's, a, he's like on the outskirts of the village in the tree line, and he has an old musket, and he sees the monster, like, doing something with one of the peasants. Yeah, right, like, it doesn't even notice And it's there. not even paying any attention to him, and he decides to take a pot shot at it with a fucking musket. Like, that's gonna do something. When it's like, okay, I'm just gonna turn around and run. You know? Yeah, the monster t- definitely takes a turn from, like, a scary, imposing, you know, unknowable creature to kind of just a damaged sponge yeah, at, it's at a, the end. It, it's, a, it's just a giant deer with hands on its face. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we get, at that point, we get the one uh, cool visual where he's, like, prostrated before it and it like stands up on its hind legs like puts its chin hands together and like spreads out its forelegs right, and, and like the, like it's worshiping as well and the and top of it looks like the the wicker creature they found yeah the it's cabin. that's a, that's a very cool visual but it nothing just, comes of it right, and it isn't really explained what it is i guess it's yeah it's him worshiping but yeah just, i mean it you know there's some of that stuff i don't need too much of an explanation for but I I want the monster to be a threat at that point, and it's not. Right. It's proven that it, at that point that it's not trying to kill Luke. What is it trying to do with him? And then he just hits it in the face and runs away. And then, oh, okay, he, he's gotten away because it can't leave the forest or whatever. And it's just like, okay. All right. That, yeah. yeah. Luke survived. All of his buddies are dead. Yep. Yep. All right. He, okay. Right. Should have gone to Ibiza. Yeah, should have gone to Ibiza, you know? Uh, you know what I think they should have done? I think they should have had him intervene before his friend got killed. Yeah. And then have the friend get killed, maybe even in spite of him intervening to raise the stakes, but also to give kind of a conclusion. Give him his redemption. Le- liquor store subplot. Yeah, exactly. Because that totally falls flat for me because... It's they never resolved. Yeah, and it, it, it doesn't feel like it has a point in the movie. Yeah, when he's running away from the monster, like Eugene mentioned earlier, like all of a sudden there's fluorescent lights in the forest and like some liquor shelves. And then when the monster is like forcing him to kneel, he sees the dead corpse of his friend who died in the liquor store. But that's also never resolved. I totally agree with yeah, you. It, if he had tried to save Dom when Dom was being sacrificed, that would have brought some resolution to that. Well, oh, I let one of my friends die. I'm not gonna fucking do it again. Well, yeah. Even if even if he doesn't whole... even if he doesn't succeed, at least there's that conclusion of his character arc where he's reached a, a certain point where he's grown. 
Yeah, well, well and the whole purpose of that subplot felt like it was uh, he should face his fears and face danger rather than running away. And what does he end up doing? Running, he runs away. Yeah, saves none of his friends. I guess we we get a little bit of a resolution with once he's already out of the forest and he's seen that the monster won't follow him, he stands there and screams at it for a minute in defiance. Right. But well, at that I, point, who cares? Because he's ob- he's safe. He knows he's safe. I feel like his resolution wasn't so much... I don't think it relied on him having to save one of his friends. It's just more about having that... Uh, strength or courage to not just cower up. I, I agree. It just uh, it, that isn't delivered at all in the final confrontation with him and the creature. So, well, I mean, it would have been it would have been enough for him to just fight for survival if he had been in the liquor store by himself and some stranger had been killed while he hid. You know, but the fact that it was one of his friends and that throughout the course of this movie. His other three friends are all killed, and he does nothing. He tries a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, he's he he's against... he's tied up, but I mean, that's that's a that's not so much from a problem with him as it is just from a filmmaking perspective. Like, resolve his character arc by having him at least make a a genuine effort to save one of his friends, you know? Yeah, and, you know, I can see how that whole subplot is kind of hokey. Like, it's a little heavy-handed. It is. So having that resolution clear up like that might end up heavy-handed. But the thing is, if you're going to have it at all, well, yeah, you especially because well it's give yeah. a use to it. Especially because it's something they added from a narrative perspective because it's not a part of the book. Yeah. It's something that they chose to add in there, and then it doesn't get any sort of good resolution. If you're, if you're going to follow the source material and add an additional subplot, give the subplot some kind of meaning, you know, aside from just... His general guilt. Chekhov's subplot. You know, if you <laughs> yeah. introduce something in the first act, you better <laughs> bring it back. Yeah, exactly. That That's how I feel about it. You know, it's not terribly offensive. You know, I would say overall my feelings about this movie is that it's really, really solid for most of it, and then in the end it just gets kind of messy. Yeah. It doesn't It doesn't ever really reach the point of being too hokey or bad or anything. It just it, it just loses a lot of it the 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 narrative cohesiveness that it has in the beginning. It all just kind of like it gets a little schlocky at the it, end. It 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 just sort of devolves into a bit of a mess at the end that just really doesn't yeah. work for me. And if it was only like the last 10 15 minutes it would be one thing, but it's like the last third of the yeah, movie, yeah. you know. It gets a little schlocky in the end and the problem i have with that is it isn't fun schlock no if it's they, not. if they would have gone big with it like push the campiness a little more I don't know if I would have liked that in this setting because the movie is so dour and so yeah, honestly, serious. I, I would have so depressing for I w- most of it. It is, and I don't have a problem with that. I think it needs to be, but that tone kind of goes away a little bit in the last act too. It betrays the monster fight that we're treated to, and I yeah. and I I wouldn't want it to get too campy well, because that would have been really tonally jarring. Look at it this way: I think if they would have added more like build up and extreme in it like if 
you would have seen some of the villagers get brutally murdered yeah. or something like that. You would have kind of a goyer, over-the-top climax well, to it. I think, more so than you do I think if they, I think if they hadn't gone so heavy on the creature reveal and had kept the creature a little more hidden from us in that climax, and that if Luke had had to actually, like, strategize and use his wits to escape rather than just running, then I think it would have been more effective. I think they they lose all of their subtlety, they reveal too much. It's just not interesting. Yeah. It's not an interesting climax at all, you know? I would have liked to see it if they would have escaped before the dude was sacrificed and it was a bit more of a hunt, I guess, at yeah, the end, you know? I agree. I think that would have been more effective because then you can keep the monster kind of still out of sight until you build up to it, more so than they did now where it, it kind of just fizzles. What I really like in the book, and this is the last time I'm going to do this, I promise, oh my but uh, the the black metal band is living in this house with this creepy old uh, Scandinavian woman who has the power to call the monster, and so they're sort of like using her to uh, to sacrifice Luke, but when they set up the sacrifice, she refuses to call the creature, so they get really mad, and then the next night she releases Luke and uses him to dispatch the black metal band because they're like mooching off of her. Then once he has killed all the members of the band, then she calls the monster. After he's done all of this shit to escape his one predicament, then he has to deal with a whole nother one. And then he has to escape the monster after having dealt with the band. And that's something that's the kind of thing that I would have liked to see in this movie, and it, it's just not there. Yeah. The complexity is all gone. It, it it gets really oversimplified at the end. I was hoping for something more original, I guess, with the ending. Yeah. Yeah, uh, man, I, I think we need more movies with black metal villains. Absolutely, dude. Well, hey, we got Lords of Chaos coming out. Yeah, so yeah dude. We'll I'm excited for that. I can say one... Nice, healthy dose of that. What I will say is... Though this is not a bad movie, if it can do anything, I hope it draws more attention to the novel like it did for me. Because this is the kind of book that I never would have even heard of if it had not been for this movie. And the novel is fantastic, and it deserves more readers. So if anything, I hope this movie will bring some readers to this book, uh, because it, it deserves it. You know who that old lady reminds me of? I finally... P- put my finger on it she reminds me of like an older chloe sevigny hmm oh the the one who speaks english yeah yeah i was kind of thinking of chloe sevigny too she has that like scandinavian face yeah i i i can totally get on board with that she reminded me of like chloe sevigny mixed with like every character from game of thrones <laughs> well do y'all want to rate this <laughs> yeah I yeah think i so. think we should just I jump on into it ready. who wants to start i'll start it off the first two thirds, I would say, have uh, a lot of really good things going for it. I liked sort of the interplay between all of the characters, the way that they all felt towards each other, and especially to Luke, the main character, in their own different ways. Except maybe Pete, he was he was a little thinner than all the other characters. Oh, Phil, they set yeah, up. yeah. Oh, yeah. Phil, Phil, yeah. Sorry, I said Pete. 
I would have been happy, honestly, if it had uh, ended with that final uh, attack by the beast when Phil is killed and they're trying to run away. If at some point during that time was the climax and we never even went to that village, I still would have felt pretty satisfied. Um, I was, I was almost worried when I was watching that scene happened and then they run to that house like, ah, crap, this isn't over yet. Uh, I think with all of that in mind, this is still something worth watching. I I would consider this a win for Netflix, maybe not a strong win, but something to show that they can, um, create some pretty good stuff, even without big names like Mike Flanagan or things like that. So for me, I'm going to give it a three out of five. Definitely still worth watching. Yeah, I think it's pretty solid. I I think uh, the first two-thirds, like you were saying, are really atmospheric and surprisingly reserved, uh, especially for a horror movie that's pretty popular right now. Um, they don't fall back onto jump scares, really, besides, you know, the the carcass that's hanging. But even that is... It really works well, well done it's and effective. effective. Yeah. The strongest part of this movie was its atmosphere, the way it builds this location of the Scandinavian forest is really, really beautiful and really almost claustrophobic in yeah, a way. Very much. Great, um, just uh, slowly moving shots uh, around the trees, things yeah, like that. Yeah, it's really beautifully shot. I kind of wish it would have either held more of its punches in the last third or just gone balls to the wall. It kind of fizzles out, and I I was disappointed with the, the lack of closure on that whole liquor store subplot. I I feel like that's a, a bad oversight to not do anything with that if you're going to put it front and center in your movie. Still, though, it, it's a pretty solid horror movie. I thought it was pretty decent. I'm going to give it a... I'm so torn. I I think I'll just give it a three out of five. I was. It's a strong three, light three and a half, but I'm going to give it a three. I think it's worth checking out. It's not something to run to, but if you're looking for something interesting on Netflix to watch, not a bad decision. Yeah, I would say I'm basically on the same page. Those first two thirds are really solid. Give me real strong Blair Witch vibes. Does the same things right that the Blair Witch does, but where the Blair Witch carries the subtlety and mystery throughout... Uh, by the third act, this film uh, really feels like it has to show and explain too much, and I think that's really its weakness. Um, props for trying to capture the spirit of the book. Uh, props for at least trying to create an original monster, even if the monster doesn't quite work in the way that I would like it to. Yeah, I would say definitely more on the good spectrum than the bad. A a, a solid movie, if not really great, like I was hoping for. Um, I'll I'll give it I'll give it that extra half a pot. I'll give it a three three and a half. So that's just coming from the book. <laughs> that's the only why you put it there. Maybe it's, maybe you know maybe it maybe it is. All I'll say is if you're a reader and you like uh, horror stories, go read this book. It's very scary. It really captures the 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 fear and the hysteria of being lost and knowing that you're being hunted 
and uh, not being able to do anything about that. Which book would be a bigger recommendation for you, this or the Annihilation books? Oh, uh, oh, they're totally different. That's very hard to say. Yeah. Um, it's obvious I, that the movies uh, it's uh, a clear annihilation. Uh, rack, yeah, annihilation. In terms of the books, annihilation is a better film, and annihilation as a film does a better job of capturing the spirit of its source material, even though it makes a lot of changes. Whereas this one keeps a lot of things the same. But the changes it makes uh, diminish the overall effect. If we're if we're comparing book to movie, I would say read the book over seeing the movie with when it comes to the ritual. But I'd say with Annihilation, you can get something totally different but equally good out of both of them. That will give us an average rating of three point two pods for the ritual. So don't go in expecting anything fantastic, but if you're looking for uh, a solid, atmospheric, creepy horror film to watch on like a Friday night or something, worth checking out. There was one moment in this film where it actually does... We're done talking about this movie. I just uh, thought about it because it stuck with me where they actually do tell one joke. It's uh, around the end of the second act when Luke and Dom are are hiding behind a tree trunk, and uh, they're getting ready, or they're, like, you know, planning on what to do. Uh, Luke asks Dom how his leg is, uh, and it's like, uh, you think you can move it? And then they're trying to figure out. Dom looks at Luke and goes, piggyback? (laughs) (laughs) Luke just looks, he's like, I think we better just make a run for it. <laughs> I just, there, there are a couple of humorous moments. I just imagine him like thinking, like, "Yeah, piggy bag's the best option." <laughs> yeah, let's let me try to carry this fat fuck out of here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, okay. Before we move on completely, you mentioned uh, North myth- mythology earlier. Yeah, I I heard somewhere that it's actually a North tradition. Uh, that to become a true adult in Norway, you have to uh, burn a church down. <laughs> so that's why they did it. <laughs> Man, it's just their Rumspringa version. Just, <laughs> Man, they're all nuts. No joke. Man, before we watched this, we watched uh, a movie we'll talk about in another episode. Uh, them. On the next episode. Yeah, on the next episode, actually. Yes, that's correct. We are going to be talking about them. The 2007 French film? 2006. 2006 French-Romanian film, which inspired the 2008 film, The Strangers, and that also inspired the sequel to that movie, the 2018 film, The Strangers, Pray at Night. Yes, that's what you can expect from us next. This is... uh our third mini pod in a row, but we're coming back at you next week with a full length episode dedicated to the strangers. And like Eugene said, the film that inspired them be looking out for that, uh, around this time next and week. On top of that, we have now become a weekly show. Yes, that and is a Q, good point. Q gun sounds. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're moving forward with this show and you can now expect a release from us weekly. 
We are going to uh, still be doing every two weeks full-length episodes, but in our off weeks, we're going to have uh, a mini-pod like these last couple for you. So uh, you can expect content from us on a weekly basis now instead of a bi-weekly. So that's uh, very exciting. Yes, we want to make sure that we don't stray too far away from your hearts, so... We get nuzzled up nice and close. You think you can get close. away from us here, Rob? Exactly. Once a week, we'll find you. We'll get back at <laughs> you. Won't thought be once every scared. two weeks was you too much. Were, you thought you were safe. We're coming at you. Uh, I had a tender me. love for you. Yeah, holes. right. Tender love. A, as I like to call it, a midnight, a midnight movie mungy. Uh, I'm missing an M in there. Minisode. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you guys know when I find out that other M. But well, until next time. If you don't hate the show, then uh, take a couple of seconds to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we are available wherever you get your good, tasty podcasts for free. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at PodPeoplePod. Uh, engage with us. Let us know what things you would like to hear in our mini pods, movie recommendations, any of that. Um, we we want to hear from the listeners. Um, you can follow my personal Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome for uh, subpar meme content. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at Mr. Sheets on Twitter if you want to read a lot of exacerbated anti-capitalist tweets. <laughs> You've been laying those pretty heavy lately. I just, uh, I would plug something, but I just, I, I got banned off Twitter. I'm, uh, I'm trying to sell back rubs, but no one's buying. So if you know anyone that has, has a really hard back, like... Tell them to call me. A real rough, stony uh, back. So you're the white girl Twitter account that got banned. Now, yes, I was the white girl. Were you one of those Twitter accounts that was stealing tweets? I I was helping Russia. <laughs> they they oh. caught me. I'm banned for a month, but then they'll let me back. So in. so old Donnie J finally got his grubby orange mitts on ya. Yeah, I, I'm the one. I'm the reason why Donald Trump Jr. is getting a divorce. So <laughs> I won't go into too much detail. But. Are you? the one who's been banging his wife I we all we all know that somebody's doing it <laughs> I won't go into too much detail but that's it you're right <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for listening uh, we'll be back at you next week with a full episode about the strangers and uh, until then keep it sleazy I guess keep I'm it sleazy <laughs> I'm Matisse Van Rossum <laughs> I'm Ben Sheets. And I am Eugene Lundin. And whatever you do, if you go walking out in the woods, make sure you have a sat phone. Sat phone.